Season four of Formative is brought to you by the generous support of Macy's Inc., whose purpose is to create a brighter future with bold representation for underrepresented youth so we can realize the full potential of every one of us. Well, it's the season four finale of Formative, and I'm so excited to say that the one and only mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, is joining us on today's show. He says for the past three decades, becoming mayor was his goal, and that's now the seat he finds himself in. We're going to learn about that journey and take a peek into his personal life growing up. Okay, hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge. And my co-host today is Akadir from MS382K. Akadir, why don't you tell us about yourself, hon? So I was born here, I guess, in Brooklyn. For elementary school, I went to PS249, but now I'm here. I feel like for high school, I could either go to Midwood or I'll stay here. ACPCE, uh, E-Hall, College Prep. So Akadir, tell us a little bit about who you're going to be interviewing today, and are you excited to be speaking with them? I mean, I'm interviewing the mayor, Mr. Adams. I heard a lot about you, so I'm excited to interview and ask you questions. Okay, well, let's not wait any longer. Welcome, Mayor Adams, to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. The show is called Formative. Kids along the way, they see people like you as the mayor, but we named it Formative so they learn about your journey, because often kids see the end, but they don't see how you got to where people are today. And that is so important. I think Akadir is representative of so many students. We all view each other, you know, not only students, but even adults. We view each other from the cover of a book. And then when you start reading the book, number one, you see the similarities. You see our fears. You see our mistakes, our errors. You see our good days, our bad days. And it just allows you to have a deeper appreciation for who we are. You know, even life as a student, life as a mayor, life as a person that's just a messenger. We all have the same, you know, good days and bad days, days we wish we can take back, days which we can do again, and days we can relive again. So I'm glad that you're going into the depth of who we are as individuals. So Akadir, why don't you take it away and ask Mayor Adams your questions? All right. So my first question was, is it difficult to be a mayor? I think Akadir, you know, that term difficulty is relative to us all. Because probably some of my most difficult days that I've had was being a student. It was hard as heck being a student. I mean, you know, as a child, I was bullied. I had some very difficult times in school. I wasn't the greatest student, you know, during those days. And so, yes, it's difficult because of the volume that I deal with as the mayor. But when I think about the word difficult, there were difficult days as a police officer, at difficult days and hard days as a, a person that worked in the mail room and as a student. So, you know, I've learned from all of those difficulties that if you just if you persist and just stay true to who you are, you're able to get through those difficult moments. I could semi-relate because during, like, the last two years of my school, I wasn't so great at school, you know. My mm. my grade, I passed, but my grades wasn't very, you know, high. But this year I'm trying my best 
So I got it. That's interesting, you know, because you know what I learned and that prepared me for now? I learned that if everything comes easy, you crumble during difficult times. So here it is. You said, hey, my last two years I struggled, but I pushed through. I didn't get the grades I wanted, but I pushed through. And that has been my claim to fame, you know, because I was never the person that would beat you with brilliance. I always beat you with endurance. I will wear you down. I'll never stop. And I'll just keep pushing. And so the mere fact you said, hey, Mayor, I didn't have a good two years, but I kept going and I kept pushing forward. That's the trait. That's the quality that I always want. A person that pushed through when things are not going right. Did you always want to be your mayor? And how did you get to where you are today? Uh, I didn't always. About 30 years ago, I made a decision that I wanted to be the mayor. And I really believed that I could be the mayor. And every day I reminded myself and I wrote down my vision and I moved towards it. And the reason I got here, because it's a very challenging time, there's only been 110 mayors, and there's only been one mayor of color in the city prior to me. That was David Dinkins. And so, as you see, that's just competitive and it's challenging. But it goes back to what you shared with me. I believed in myself, and I was willing during a difficult time just to keep pushing through. And that's how I got here. I didn't get here because I was the smartest, or I went to the best school, or I had the best grades. I got here from my determination and surrounding myself with people who believed in me as much as I believed in myself. So you got here because it was probably the best thing for you? Yes, I believe in this thing called finding your purpose. Like, I'm sure there's something that you do naturally. It's something that you don't even have to work hard at doing. And once you look at that and you start examining it, you'll see that it's your purpose. Like yesterday, I went to this place that really blew me away. It was called Coexist Gaming in Manhattan. It is a place where gamers go to hang out. I was blown away. These guys and ladies were the top gamers. And they learned when they were young that they enjoyed games. Now they turn into a business. Do you know, like gaming now, sports gaming, is a multi-billion dollar industry. And so I'm sure there's some stuff that you like naturally that you do it effortlessly. And that's how I felt about helping people, being there for people. I enjoy doing it. I do it without an effort. And so it was easy for me to run to become the mayor. So like a talent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, exactly. Like what, what do you believe is your talent that you know that no matter what, you know you do it well? I feel like I'm gonna have to go with gaming, like for your example, because I wasn't really good at most of sports or any physical activities. So I'm gonna have to go with gaming. You are good at gaming? Yeah. Yeah. Now think about this for a moment. How about those people who were great at sports like basketball and football and they look down at people who weren't athletic and only knew how to play games. Now games is esports. They're making billions of dollars from it. <laughs> so you know that's how life is. You know, if you stay true to what you really feel, you're going to find your niche. All right. Um, do you have any hobbies outside of being a mayor? 
I love riding my bike and my favorite pastime out of everything. If I can stay home all day in my pajamas, you know, and just like watch reruns of Twilight Zone, that's like my, that's my treat to myself. That's like, I'm in heaven. (laughs) But I love riding my bike all the time. And I'm an avid reader. I do a lot of reading or listen to books on Audible. What What is your hobby? What is it? I like, I guess I'm going to have to go with video games again, but I also like mm-hmm. observing and like learning a little bit because, you mm-hmm. know, you can't always have too much information, I guess. Well said. Well said. There's a saying, the more we know, the more we know we need to know. There's so much to know and no one knows it all. I used to think that as a mayor, I thought you could never get a break. Like, I thought you was always busy, like 24-7. Like, you know, every day. It is, you know, and, you know, you asked earlier about the job being difficult. You know what it is, Akadir? It's not so much difficult, it's the volume. Every day, all day, all night. Remember, this is a city that never sleeps. So something happens all day. Four in the morning, I can get a call that a building collapsed. Three in the morning, I can get a call that there was a terrible plane crash. Something is always happening in the city all day, every day. But sometimes you have to turn your phone off. You have to turn everything off and say, I I need to just cut myself from everything because it's never going to end. So something's never going to end. You have to build in ways of protecting your sanity. So I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of deep breathing exercises. So I find ways to renew myself because it never ends. I mean, never ends. (laughs) It goes on all day, every day. Something is happening in this city. I heard you um, wrote like a book about eating healthy. What inspired you to do that? It was a combination of things. I was going through my own health crises. And when I started to look into how food created that crisis, I saw how bad we were eating for generations. You look at the food, particularly those of us who are from communities of color, like where's your family from? Uh, My family is from Panama. Panama. When you look at the foods that we were fed through generations, some came through slavery, some came through the colonialization of our countries, and we were fed unhealthy food and forced to eat that unhealthy food. And I looked into that and the food connection that when people told me that I was diabetic because of my DNA that I inherited from my lineage, I learned it was never my DNA, it was my dinner. I shared the same dinner that my ancestors shared. And I saw from my book, I showed people the connection to how we embrace bad food, and with that, we embrace a bad health outcome. So it's so important for, you know, leaders like you to really look into food. That's why we do Meatless Mondays in school. We do plant-powered Fridays in schools. We do vertical gardens in school. We want leaders like you to see there needs to be a food revolution so we can have healthy food in our schools and in our communities. How has food impacted your life? It showed me the health. You know what's fascinating? And you should look up this word 
called microbiomes, um, B-I-O-M-E. Food plays a role on our vital organs, our heart, our kidneys, our pancreas. But what a lot of people don't realize is the role it plays on our brain. There's now research that shows food has a lot to do with our mental health. There are some studies that show that people who ate a well-balanced diet of fruits, vegetables, and food that's not processed, they are able to actually alleviate their depression and their mental health issues. Because when you think about it, we normally don't think about our brain as being part of our vital organs, but it is in the same body. And food, I've learned over the years, if you have a good, balanced, healthy diet, it not only deals with your physical being, but your mental being as well. And I am very focused on the type of food that I consume. What's your favorite meal? Uh, a couple of things. I'm an eater. I like some good food. But, you know, I went to a plant-based meal, you know, after my diabetes. And, you know, I wrote a book about healthy eating. It's called Healthy at Last. So I've learned to use my culturally uh, sensitivity around food to find foods that I like. So something like a sweet potato cornbread, which I love, one of my favorite meals. I love to have a, I make myself a vegan burger made out of mushrooms, lentils, and black beans. One of my favorite meals. I love hummus. I will make myself a flatbread and have hummus with it. I make my own hummus made out of chickpeas, garlic, a little, a lot of, I should say, a lot of seasoning. But my go-to meal, I'm a big soup guy. I love a good soup throw everything in it, and especially on a cold winter day, a nice soup is the way to go for me. Was it hard when you were in juvenile detention? Yes, it was It was very painful for me. You know, it was hard for my mom. I felt like I, I you know, I just, you know, did something to harm her. My brother and I, we were arrested, and I went to Spofford, up in the Bronx. Which which borough do you live in? I'm um, Brooklyn. Okay. I went to Spofford in the Bronx. Bronx it was a juvenile detention facility. It's now a different place. The council person, Councilman Salamanca, turned it into a different location now with housing and other areas. But it was a very painful period in my life and for my entire family. But it was a learning experience. You know, my mother told me when I came home that day, she says, son, a dark place can be a burial or a planting. You have to make the decision. And I made that decision after that incident that was not going to be my burial. It was going to be a planting. And the fruits of that harvest is what produced me to become a state senator, a borough president, and now the mayor. But it was a very dark place. And, you know, when you're in those places, I'm sure you you probably know some moments that you felt like you're in a dark place. When you're in those places, you have to make the determination to yourself, how am I going to get through it? You know, but it, really, when you have things like dyslexia, when you have things about being arrested, it, it those struggles also make you more compassionate, understanding, and it helps you to help others because you know you're not perfect. You know what I say all the time? I'm perfectly imperfect. 
Did you struggle when you found out you had dyslexia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but that is like, I look at words on paper and the letters, the letters are mumble jumble. They're mixed up. They're in different orders. And it's, when I was a child, it was hard to read. And even now I will struggle to pronounce certain words because they're mo- sort of mixed up to me. But I've learned how to live with it. I've learned to, I'm very audible. Like I will hear things and remember them and I'm able to recite them. But when I went through my school years, elementary, middle, and high school, I didn't know I was dyslexic. And I hated when the teacher called on me to read. I would stumble over the words. You know, people would laugh. And, you know, they used to call me the dumb kid. And I learned when I got in college that I was dyslexic. And after that, I went from being a D student to being on what's called the dean's list, meaning my grades were extremely high. And so if you're not diagnosed with dyslexia, you don't realize that you're not dumb. You just learn differently. And once you're diagnosed, you know that and you get the support you need. And that's why we're doing dyslexia screening and phonics work in all of our schools so we can let people know and students know earlier. So throughout the years, you just adapted to it? Yeah, you know, it's amazing. And that's a great question, because it's amazing how you just adapt to something when you have some type of, you know, what one would say different than what everyone else has. You know, so like if a person has a speech impediment, they would adapt to it. If a person has a hearing loss, they would adapt to it. We have an amazing ability as human beings to adopt and in that adaptation of based on what you may not have, you become stronger in other places. Like I'm able to remember a speech because I can't read it. So I had to adapt and would turn out to be a weakness later as a politician, it turned out to be a blessing. And so you're right. It's about how do you look at the things that you may not have and how do you adapt to or make an adaptation? I understand. So throughout all these challenges you went through in your life, you just kept on learning and using those lessons that you learned throughout life? Yes, without a doubt. And, you know, I could just tell by some of the questions you ask and how you respond. You look over the things that you learn. But it's like never stop being a student. Being a student doesn't mean you are sitting only in a classroom. Like I look at everything and I say, what's the lesson in this? What am I supposed to learn from this? And so each moment of despair, I spent time to reflect on it so I can learn from this and how to respond to how to become better. I never stop wanting to be better at whatever I did. So what identifies you as a person, like in general? I think that I am an avid learner. I always want to know, you know, like when I was uh, probably around your age or some of your colleagues' ages, I used to sit around and look at animal programs all the time just to learn why animals do what they do. I just constantly want to learn something new. And because I was always so inquisitive, I think it saved my life. When I was told that I was going to lose my sight because I was diabetic, I could have easily just followed the rules of the doctor 
or what the doctor told me to do. But that inquisitive nature of mine said, wait a minute, how do I reverse diabetes? And because of that, I was able to see what to do to reverse my diabetes and get my sight back, as well as other health issues. But that inquisitive nature is what allowed me to do so. So if you were to ask me to say, may I give me one word to define you? I would say inquisitive. I'm like that curious George. I'm always into something, you know. How would you, I'm just curious, how would you define yourself? See, I don't really know because like there, there's times in life where I could be one thing and then the other times I could be like another thing. So right. it's mix and match, you know? Right. And, and you know what I learned was interesting is that people always want to put you in a box. So if there are days you feel one way and days you feel another day, then you just define yourself. You are a person that different days you want different things. <laughs> you know, people want us to be one thing. You know, they look at me. We've never had a bald headed mayor that wore an earring. So that means I can't be a bald headed mayor that wore an earring. No, you know. So the, someone told me when I was campaigning, it was the most important lesson they gave me. I was telling them about my concerns and they said, Eric, just be you. Just be you. And that's what you should do. So one day you want to wear your hair long. Another day you want to wear it up. Another day you want to do this. You want to do that. Hey, so what is you? <laughs> There's only one academia, one. There's not another one, no matter what. And so just be you because everyone else is taken. So Mayor Adams, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. And we ask all our guests the same question at the end of the show. If you could go back in time and speak to yourself when you were 13, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? Great question. Uh, where you are is not who you are. Meaning if you're in a bad situation, that doesn't define you. If you live in a homeless shelter, that is not who you are. That's just where you are. If you made a mistake and you send in Spofford Juvenile Facility, that is not who you are. That's where you are. If you are unemployed or if you're in a domestic violence situation, that's not who you are. That's just where you are. And as a 13-year-old or 10-year-old, you feel sometimes that where you are at that moment is who you are and it's not. It's going to be fine, just as Akadir stated earlier, continue to push forward because where you are is not who you are. Who you are is who you make yourself to be. And there's many layers to getting there. Well, thank you, Akadir, for being such an excellent co-host. And thank you, Mayor Adams, for your time today and for joining us on Formative by New York Edge. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Akadir, if you're in the area, pop in City Hall and say hello, all right? <laughs> okay. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gastic. My co-host today was Akadir from MS382K in Brooklyn. He was assisted by Tiffany. Season four of Formative is brought to you by the generous support of Macy's Inc. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. 
Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.